We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Moose Podcast, episode seven. I believe we're coming at you a day late, but never a dollar short. Matt Rooney, Joe Musso. On the mic today, Matt, how you doing? A lot to talk about today, buddy. A lot to talk about today. I guess you um, having some things to do this weekend, which you'll get to, might have been a little bit of a blessing because now I get to recap the NBA Finals as a series instead of previewing what was going to be the, the final Game 5, but uh, I'm doing well. It uh, it worked out nicely for us here. We are going to talk about a couple uh, trophies being hoisted in the last two days and uh, just what it took to get there. No real surprises, no real drama, but we will get to that. Like you said, Matt, um, I was back home, got to take in Chicago for a few days, some family, some friends, some loved ones, got to bring the girl home. It was a great weekend, but you're already giving me a little flack. I was getting some text messages from you that you just weren't having the look, huh? No, you know, I, I sent out the one, uh, which was, you know, late on a Friday night. I didn't, didn't get the response back, seeing so you know what you're up to, which is fine. Happens to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> then, then I saw the Instagram post. I believe it was Saturday morning of you know you with the girlfriend, which is fine. That's not what I'm what I'm uh, you know coming at you about. It's the it's the rolled up capris and the fedora look. Okay, see, see first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to stop. I don't, I, right I don't, maybe they're not capris, whatever. I'm sorry, I'm not very fashion forward there, Joe. Exactly. That was you took the words out of my mouth. Are the you Russell Westbrook or taking, something? Are you trying to be Russell Westbrook? The day I start taking fashion tips from Matt Rooney is the day we all show up in burlap sacks. Just because okay. I don't know what they're called doesn't mean I know they. They don't know they how they look. They were a Levi khaki that I rolled up because I had sandals on, and we were going to the Old Town Art Fair. I was all in on the art fair. Now, Joe, it was it was ninety two degrees Saturday. Why are you wearing pants? Very thin, very thin material, man. Oh, it's a short very thin night. material. It's a shorts night. If you're wearing pants, a it's very a thin material book. rolled up above the calf. I was I was in the sweet spot. No. The white tee. Now I can I will take the bullet for the fedora because I've always been very anti fedora. But see, honestly, I, I'd have gone the other way. I would have been willing. To let you, you would have given you would have given me the hat, but not the pants. I would have given you the hat, but the pants were they were a little bit too tight, a little bit too. I don't like the rolled up look. Just wear shorts, Joe. Just wear yeah, shorts. It was. Uh, see, that's the thing. Everyone there was wearing shorts. Joe's got to stick out. With the fedora, I was I was getting a lot of young Bruno Mars comparisons, circa locked out of heaven. Not like twenty four karat, but but more of a locked out of heaven Bruno Mars. Yeah, um, you always have been a little bit shorter. Oh, okay. We're coming out <laughs> guns blazing in week seven. I love it. But no, uh, okay. it was it it was a wonderful weekend back home. Uh, I'm kind of mad we couldn't link up there, but uh, all of those uh, all of those hours are filled with uh, screaming family members usually. So that's uh, that's how we spent the the weekend uh, and screaming with love. If you know my family, uh, the uh, the Italians really know how to how to amp it up a notch and get it up to ten. But it was a great weekend. I will be back in August again, Matt, and we're getting out on the course whether it be up by you at the club or wherever it may be, but uh, I got to take some of your money. Well, uh, you're welcome to try. And if I could just kind of tie it back in here with, uh, with the fedora. Now I was kind of, I was applying a law of scarcity there. I don't know uh, if you saw, but I did, um, I did receive an accolade here in Nebraska. Uh, I was, I was voted best broadcasting hair in Nebraska by, uh, some commentary blog, a hair blog, and uh, so what I was doing there with the fedora was I was, I, I was, you know, people wanted to see it, you know, they want to see the hair, and you got to control the demand there, you know, you got you got you can't give them everything all at once, man. Got to give the people what they want, but you know what they want, so you got to give it to them when they want it. I got you exactly. Pick it up, get your down. So, so I, what, I don't know if the what do they call those awards? Where they call them like a Harry? Um, yes, the Harry Award. The Harry so Award. I was, I was voted. Uh, Nebraska's best broadcast here. So, um, you know, the goal is to someday have 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 some other awards sitting next to that. But we'll we'll start the uh, collection with a Harry. I think it's only appropriate. I got an award once. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was a uh, junior year in physics class. I was awarded the one hundred and ten percent effort award at the end of the year. That's and you always give that. Was that that was that Fennell who who gave that one? No, that was uh, that was Miss Esposito. That was when she ran out of awards that she was giving to everybody in class, so uh. she gave me that one. 
Well, well, you always do give it 110%, Matt. Especially in the classroom. (laughs) And we're going to give it 110 on this podcast, Matt. Let's dive into some sports here. We're going to kick it off with the NBA Finals. So many things to dissect in this one, but uh, the Warriors come out on top as we knew they would seven months ago, Matt. So uh, there just wasn't much drama in this for me. There wasn't... uh, there wasn't the the moment that I look for in in a professional sport final. There wasn't the uh, the watershed moment. It, it just kind of went along the way we knew it would. Yeah, it did. First off, I want to give a shout out to myself. Um, our predictions okay. in these, these two final series haven't been terribly accurate, but I think I finally got the right one. I did call KD being the finals MVP beforehand. Way um, to go so out on a win. Go, gonna go ahead and you know pat myself on the back a little bit there. Um, but yeah, like you said, it was. It was LeBron doing just about everything he could, and it took an all-time effort in Game 4 from the Cavs as a whole to shut down the Warriors. And still, even though they were down double digits in that Game 4, I don't think he ever felt it was totally over until about two minutes left. But, yeah, they are who we thought they were. Um, They're a super team, KD. and Hats off to KD, who had a reputation of being a guy who in a big game never really kind of stood up and, and, and... led his team a little bit, but last night, you know, 39 points, and there's like something like 14 and 19 from the field. I think only yeah, missed two from beyond the arc. I know there's less pressure. I'm not taking my hat off. I'm not taking my hat off KD. There's a difference of jumping out of a plane with a parachute on your back and base jumping off of a cliff with no safety net, you know? And, and KD had that safety net all season. KD had his parachute on his back. KD could jack it up, and now don't get me wrong, his performance was was all world in these NBA Finals. He looked like a guy who had the look in his eyes, who wanted to go get it, but he didn't have the pressure on his back. He didn't have to wear it all on his shoulders. And yes, he did have Russell in Oklahoma City, but those two guys kind of wore it all on their shoulders. When you're six deep and your bench is outscoring the other bench, you don't really have to worry about much. I, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, definitely didn't have the pressure that you know Golden State even had on them last year that he had when you know in Oklahoma City when they had that three-one lead against the Warriors last year. But I still think it, playing on a team that looked a little bit looked a little bit tight to start last night. Cleveland was kind of having their way with them early. Golden State was missing some shots they should have made. I, especially, I think when they got to the fourth quarter, KD getting hot kind of calmed everybody down and allowed them to take over and go ahead and win by double digits. And they did go, win by double digits. And I'm, I'm not saying that he had to hit a buzzer beater or you know was back and forth down one every time. But I, I, I was impressed with the way he kind of took over the game a little bit in the fourth quarter. And 14 and 19 from the field, pressure, no pressure, is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, and the one thing, kind of my takeaway in, in watching the game last night and sitting there as it ended, doesn't matter what the sport is, if it's if it's a game-winning moment, if the trophies are being handed out, I always get a certain feeling. Uh, and if it's not a rival, if it's not the Packers winning, yeah. it's, always, it's always kind of a feeling of fulfillment. I felt dirty yesterday. It didn't feel right, you know? It felt like this thing was predetermined, not by referees or by the league, but by circumstance, you know? These guys assembled this team, and it didn't seem like it was ever in question throughout the entire season. I mean, KD goes down with the injury late in the season. That wavered a little bit, but when he came back, you knew they were going to be just fine because you knew they were just fine without him. It it, it just didn't feel competitive, and that's why I watch sports is for the competition. Yeah, uh, I I can't disagree with you there. Um, Those two games in Cleveland were were a little bit more fun to watch, obviously the one being close and the second one, Cleveland kind of putting on their best show, but... I don't know something about it with me. I, I don't know when or when it happened or where it happened or why it happened, but I just kind of became resigned to the fact and just accepted it that these two were going to meet in the finals. Golden State was going to probably win and just tried to watch the basketball for how good these two teams were. And maybe it's because I'm not a you know a diehard basketball fan who's you know living and dying with every shot, really pulling hard one way or the other. I was just happy and watching really really good basketball for five games. Yeah, I just wish there was more of that. Spread across the league, so it wouldn't just be five games that, a season. Totally, we got to wait. Totally yeah, we got to wait another three hundred and fifty days to see this same matchup, possibly with Paul George on Cleveland or Carmelo Anthony or whoever they're going to go recruit to try and get, get their fourth cog yeah. or move Kevin Love to get a better third cog. It, it just it feels dirty these days, and I don't like it. But you mentioned it earlier, Matt, and uh, you got to echo it. LeBron James, first player in NBA history to average a triple double in the finals. The guy gave everything he had. He was absolutely amazing to watch, and you gotta applaud him. But people, 
people have a hard time remembering things like that. When you really dig into it, let's say 25 years from now when you're talking about the guy's legacy, they'll dig into those statistics and get into those nuances. The first thing they look at is your finals record. And he's kind of slid into another bracket. If you look at some of the you know, some of the greatest players of all time, only a few of them have losing records in the NBA championship. You got MJ obviously at six and oh, Magic five of nine, Kobe five of seven, Shaq four of six, uh, Russell was eleven of twelve, Duncan five of six, and then you got another section of guys. James Worthy was three of seven, Wilt was two of six, Elgin Baylor, a historic loser, O of eight, and now LeBron's sitting there at three of eight and you know, the circumstances obviously were working against them here, but history doesn't remember circumstance. It remembers champions. And 2017 will always be remembered that the Golden State Warriors won, won the championship. LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers lost it. So he's got he's got a legacy issue, and I know it's been dissected to the umph degree, but it'll be interesting to see 20 years from now how we remember LeBron James. I, I can't wait to get away from it and let the story grow and see how we do really remember him if it's for the performances or for his championship pedigree. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think right now it's it's hard to judge, you know, where he should be in that, you know, ranking list of all-time best players. But I'm with you. That I think 10, 20 years down the line, you will probably remember a little bit more of the record um, than the performances. Granted, I do think this one was an all-time NBA Finals performance. And because, like you said, going into the series, going into the season, even you kind of knew this was just Golden State's title to win. They're going to waltz to it. He might get a little bit of a pass for that because he did do absolutely everything he could do. But again, he's yeah. what three and five in the NBA finals. He's a, you know, a Ray Allen three from the corner and a Draymond Green crotch shot away from being, you know, one and seven in the NBA finals. Yeah. And again, but like you said, people remember winners and 10 years down the line, nobody's going to remember that LeBron would have lost without that Ray Allen three or Draymond Green nut, you know, nut punch. Because uh-huh. it's kind of the way I think about it, too, because I always kind of bring everything in my brain back to football. How do we remember Jim Kelly? You know, do we remember him for his outstanding statistics? But he'll always four Super Bowls, four, four straight Super Bowl yeah. losses. That, that's how you remember the guy. Or that's how at least I remember the guy. And we didn't watch him play much football. So my opinion might, might be skewed on that. But the things I'm told about him, you know, as, mm-hmm. as history does remember him, you always hear about the four straight losses. Yeah, and it'll be interesting, I guess, for us because this will be – we're just kind of getting to the age where we're old enough to remember people once their kind of careers – like see people's career end and kind of be able to rank them and kind of know what they did through their career. Be old enough to kind of analyze what they did and where they should And look back. And we're starting to get to that point. This will, be, this will probably be the first real all-time great or, you know, along with Tom Brady to kind of hang them up when they do, and we'll be able to actually look back and have a legit analysis on, on where they should be. Yeah. Let me ask yeah. you one thing, though, about LeBron. Had they had they somehow won last night, gone back to Cleveland, and either lost there or won, but say they lost in six or seven, and LeBron put up another game like he did last night, 41-11-8. LeBron have any shot at a finals MVP? That's one thing they were talking about that I was thinking about. I think he honestly does just because of the way he's revered by the league and by fans and kind of the dominance that he does bring to the court every single night. It wouldn't have surprised me, and I don't think anyone on Golden State would have had any qualms with it because their effort was so spread out and their effort was so um, you know, collective. And LeBron was other than Kyrie doing this on his own. And now that leads me to another thing. Kyrie Irving was great too. And, and that was kind of, that was their motor. Now LeBron did everything for them, but when Kyrie came out of the game yesterday, that's when it swung there in the second quarter. Right? Yeah. Second quarter. When Kyrie got sat down, that's when Golden State kind of took took back control of the game. So you, you got to mention Kyrie, Kyrie Irving in this too. But back to your question, wouldn't have been surprised at all if, if that was the case. Wouldn't have been surprised. I wouldn't have had a problem with it either. Even if they lost last, with last night's loss, if they decided that's what they wanted to do, I probably would have said, you know, lost in five shouldn't give it to him. But there was an argument to be said for he deserved that. And it, it, it's just it's tough to knock him for, as much as I want to because I think it's fun to knock LeBron a little bit for what he does off the court sometimes mm-hmm. with the media and all that. But on the court, there's he has nothing to hang his head. I think he even said it last night in, in the yeah. post game. I, I did everything I could do. And he did, he did everything he could possibly do. He just, it wasn't good enough. And I guess if you're him, that's, you can live with that. You can live with saying I did everything I could and it just wasn't good enough. Speaking of rough fashion decisions and bad hats, 
what I, I don't know what those hats he was wearing this entire series. Those conductor slash Fidel Castro hats. Those need to go. Those yeah, need to go. I'm with you. Granted, I'm not. Really, the the NBA seems to be about two or taking three. A, or taking four. a chance. They try to take. They try to like predict two or three or four fashion trends ahead. I feel like gotcha. Russell Westbrook was wearing your weekend look like three years ago. Oh. So I, and that, that's not a shot at you. I'm just saying that's like it seems <laughs> like they try to predict these a couple you know trends in you know ahead. So I, I you're gonna have them coming out. People are gonna start coming out dressing like they're in the fifth fifth element. June of 2020. I cannot wait for your Instagram post of you wearing one of these conductor's hats, and I'm gonna. I'm just gonna be wearing a photo vest like yep. Russell. Mm-hmm. And okay. you're gonna have that LeBron conductor hat, and I'm gonna. It's gonna be a great look. I'm gonna comment on that post, Joe. One name that we haven't mentioned through all of this, Matt, that that I love to just kind of look at his rise and look at what he's done. Steph Curry adds another notch to his belt, another championship trophy, another accolade to a career that was never supposed to be. So we got to mention Steph Curry here. Just the little kid out of Davidson that everyone doubted, and now he's, I mean, LeBron aside, the face of the league, KD yeah. aside. He's one of the faces of the league. One of three. He continues to win, and he continues to be beloved by people across the country. Now, if we were still those seven-year-olds, I think we're at a point where Steph Curry is the guy that they look up to just because of what the jump shot's been. Steph Curry adds another notch in the belt and another accolade to an already extremely impressive and unexpected resume. Yeah, 34 points last night in that fourth quarter. He was... He was him and KD were the two best players on the court. You could have made the argument Steph was the best player on the court with the assists he was throwing out and some of the cuts he was making to the hoop and getting for you know those easy layups. He was he he really stepped up his game after game three or game four. Excuse me, kind of shying away. I think he only finished like fourteen points. Didn't really have his best night. And even last year when they went when they started kind of collapsing in those last couple games and ended up losing in seven, he shied away a little bit. He he stepped up big time last night when they really needed him to, and it was fun to watch. And the great thing about this, Matt, is that I don't think we're done seeing this matchup. I think that a year no. from now, we'll be I think we'll probably see it for the next con- three or four. This same conversation, and uh, I don't know if I'm excited about that. Do you? Do you like? In all honesty, what could happen this off season that would make you think this isn't going to happen? Because yeah. I, I don't think Cleveland's done adding. They're going to find a way to add somebody. LeBron else. would have to go to LA. That's the only thing. LeBron would have to say, "I'm done," here, which I don't think would ever happen. But no, that I don't would think be the he's... only thing that would keep from this matchup happening again. Yeah, I, I, I think for the next, unless somebody somehow forms a, a different super team with a stack of a free agent class, I don't know when that if if and when that free agent class is coming. But the only way would be if Boston somehow managed Jimmy Butler and maybe. Got Markel Fultz as well, and somehow got you know Butler out of the Bulls without giving up that pick. But I don't see how that's going to happen. Bob Cousy out of retirement. Hmm? Okay, Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think that we're going to see much parity. I don't think that's what the NBA is anymore. But uh, we did see uh, some more exciting championship action the night prior, Matt. Right down your wheelhouse. Fifty-eight minutes of scoreless hockey, and uh, it ends up with another. Championship for the Pittsburgh Penguins, back-to-back championships for Sidney Crosby and company uh, on just a goofy goal. A goofy goal, a hard effort at the net, but a dirty one. And, I, and, I, and it felt like it was going to be a dirty one that, uh, that decided that game. Man, if there, was, if there was ever a moment in a championship series that let you know that just that, was what was, that team was meant to win, that, that that was just destined to happen, it was that goal. Just yeah. kind of throwing it in, bouncing off the boards, and, you know, it, behind the goal line, throwing it at the goalie, hoping it goes in. I mean, that was... Good that things was happen. The, exactly. Good things happen when you get pucks in the net, and that's what that's Pittsburgh right. did. Don't, I, I'm not knocking them at all, but the, any team who wins a championship, except if you're the Golden State Warriors, needs to have you know some bounces go their way, some calls go their way, some good things happen. And, and Pittsburgh did, and they took advantage of them whenever they happened, and th- that was a perfect example. That was their, their playoffs kind of in a nutshell, I think. And I'm really glad, I never say this, I'm really glad that this didn't go seven and someone won on the road because I don't like, I don't like the feeling that, uh, you know, this thing was decided by seeding or home, home ice advantage. I like that this thing got done on the road and the Pens did show that they could go into their building and win. I think that was a big moment there for them to kind of prove, not that they needed to validate a championship, not that you ever need to, but that was a point of validity right there. Oh, I, I agree. It was, it's what a lot of it, it, it's what the better teams in those situations usually do. Uh, it, it, 
reminded me almost exactly of the the 2010 Cup Finals, the Hawks' first Cup. They they came out like gangbusters at home and you know, beat the Flyers uh, a couple times ago up 2-0. They kind of shelled away on the road and dropped two straight. They probably shouldn't have. Then they won Game Five at home big, and then they came out in Game Six and obviously ended up going on the road and, and taking a one goal win. But that's just that. That's kind of what the better teams do, I think, when those those series are going like that. Home home team home team keeps taking everything. They they find a way to play that perfect road game and, and steal one on the road. But that was it, a fun hockey game to watch. It was. It was a, it was end to end action and. I know a lot of people don't like zero zero games, but as far as zero zero games go, that's that was as good a one as you're going to see. Well, so we had family over on Sunday, and I have a couple cousins who one went to Ohio State and played soccer. One is a club soccer team. He runs a club. Uh, uh, youth club, and uh, so they had the World Cup qualifying game down in the basement. We had hockey upstairs, and I was kind of running back and forth between the two. And uh, I made the point that the soccer game, ten minutes in, had or twenty minutes in, had outscored the hockey game, and that started that sparked uh, some spirited debate around <laughs> the dinner table. I, I'm guessing around the Musso dinner table, there's always a little bit of spirited debate about something. And, yeah, it doesn't take much to get the to get the meatball rolling. <laughs> but in Nashville. The, first off, hats off to them. It was a great playoff run, and they, they won Absolutely. essentially two series without their best forward in Ryan Johansson with that hip injury. And uh, Kevin Fiala was another guy who had a broken leg. He was a top six forward for him. So they, they, they competed with Pittsburgh for six, uh, beat Anaheim in seven without those two guys. But they had their chances in that third period. They had the long five on three, and I hate how often Pat Foley says this during Blackhawks broadcast, but, but Joe Quenville always likes to say, you know, those, those long five on three is usually the team that, that comes out on the right side of that ends up finding a way to win the game. And yeah, that's you, what happens. you find a way to kill that five on three, and that's instant momentum right there. Yeah, and then right after and, that five on three, I think it was Colton Sissons had that uh, shot beat Murray, but go right off the pipe. And yeah, they had their chances. And it didn't. Fe- this doesn't feel like a, a Nashville team that's going to shy away because it didn't go their way. This feels like a team and a fan base, much like the Hawks were seven, eight years ago, who are now finding their footing as a powerhouse. And the Hawks are going to have to find a way to dethrone the now, you know, the real deal of the Western Conference. I don't think it's our conference anymore. I don't think it's anyone's conference anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I probably agree. With that. I don't think it's Nashville's, but I think after the last two years. It is. It's a conference that's up for grabs. I think you know the Ducks haven't been to a finals yet, but they're always hanging around up there. Nashville look good. The Hawks are not dead by any means. I think they've just kind of taken a step back and are not not on the outside looking in, but kind of in that in a in a pack of teams kind of on the top tier of that conference. And it'll be fun to watch next year. See which one of these teams tries to step up and grab it. If the Hawks can make a couple moves and maybe grab it, if Nashville gets a little bit healthier, they're not going anywhere. If Pecorino can be. Uh, can be the, the Pecorine we saw in these playoffs. Yeah, Matt, Pecorine never been the picture of consistency, but his performance in this Stanley Cup playoffs, there were a couple mo- moments of wavering early on in the series where we thought, oh, here comes the real Pekka, but he showed that uh, in the big moment he can get it done. And like we said, you can't hold anything against him in, in that last game. That puck just bounced off his back. Nothing he can do. He had them held to a shutout at, to that point. So some great, uh, great tending there by Pekka as well. Yeah, uh, but fun series to watch. I, I selfishly, I would have liked to see it go seven just to to watch another oh, yeah. hockey game. But um, <laughs> whatever, it is what it is now. It is Matt, and it is also one of our favorite weeks of the year. We're talking U.S. Open golf right in our backyard, Aaron Hills, Wisconsin. It's going to be an amazing one up there, but already some guys complaining about the track. Yeah, I forgot who I saw. Somebody I think it was yesterday. Kevin, Kevin Na, who Might comes out and complains about everything. But. Threw a ball in the rough and said couldn't even like couldn't see it when it dropped in there and then tried hitting out of it and couldn't get it out. Yeah, but this is what the USGA has done in years past. In the, in the recent past, it is... They're trying to get away from the tight fairways and unplayable greenside rough that we remember U.S. Opens being, you know, that, that's what the U.S. Open was. That's, those were the key elements to U.S. Open was you're hitting it down an alley, and if you miss the green, you might end up sculling one across back into the fairway. That's, mm-hmm. just, that's just what the U.S. Open was. They're trying to defend these courses in different ways now. Aaron Hills, wider fairways, but if you do miss those wide fairways, you're gonna you might have to take it unplayable. You might have to go back to the tee and re-tee it. 
the greens, we don't know how they're going to roll, what the speeds are going to be like, but this course's defense is wind. It's supposed to be double-digit double wins the entire weekend, so I don't think that... I'm not sure that I like it. I like the classic courses. I like the Pebbles. I like the Shinnecocks. I like the Pinehursts, but they're trying something different, and that doesn't always work out a la Chambers Bay two years ago. I'll defend Chambers Bay for a minute, because if if it wasn't for how bad, if it wasn't for how bad of shape the greens were, in which there's no defending those, those were god awful. I still think that one would have turned out just fine. That's my I, defense. It was not, yes, but from a spectator standpoint as well, they, they, supposedly you couldn't even watch that. Like there was no, there was no need to spend money to go to the course because it was such an undulating course, hills that were surrounding fairways, there were no good vantage points, too, because that's what the USGA has to do, too, when they're thinking about setting these courses up, is where are we going to put fans? Where are we going to put our hospitality? True. How is, how is the fan experience going to be? And when they start trying these different things, I think sometimes the fans that go to these do lose out. Now, we know a lot of people going up there. Matt, are you, are you going to spend a day at Aaron Hills? Uh, I will not be this year, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be out of town this weekend. Okay, well, we know, we know a lot of people up there, so... We're going to be getting firsthand accounts of how it was from a spectator standpoint. Uh -huh. But the USGA has gotten cute in years past. And I think this is a big one for them as an organization. You know, Mike Davis has acknowledged the shortcomings too, whether it be Chambers Bay, like it or not, or last year, Dustin ends up winning. But there was that ruling coming down the stretch where they gave him the two-stroke penalty like three or four holes later, whatever it was. The USGA has had some hiccups in years past, and I'm not putting anything by them at this point. Yeah, that's fair. If they, after the last couple of years, and Grant, I know these things are set in advance, this isn't exactly the safest bet to, to give you a, a classic U.S. Open that, that goes you know, without and, any hitches or anything. But that said, this course has the potential to be awesome. <laughs> For us to watch on this course, it, it oh, has yeah. potential to, to live up to the hype and be a fantastic weekend. It could go wrong. There's no doubt about that, but... It could go wrong because they're always trying to toe the line of playability. You want to get I don't it right mind there. that. I, I you really, wanna, nor I really do I. Don't. You want to push these. You want to push these guys to the brink. But if you toe the line of playability and the wind kicks up an extra ten miles an hour, then you have a problem. So when you're trying to set these courses up differently, like they are this year, when they're trying to do something different, or when you're trying to manage a new course, those types of things can happen. When you're setting up an Oakmont or a Beth Page or a Pebble, you know. You know how to get these guys. You know where the where the defense of the course is, and you can manage those better. When you're doing a course, when you're holding the tournament at a course that hasn't hosted any sort of major in a hundred and something years, or it wasn't even a major back then, or hasn't held a tournament in a hundred and something years, yeah. a lot can go wrong. You get the greens rolling too fast and the wind kicks up, there's an issue. No, I'm with you. Uh, like I think we're on the same page here. I think just explain it a little bit differently, but... Um, it, it's a bold move to kind of go to a course like this after, like you said, not having a tournament in, in how long, but you got to try some new things sometime. You can't just recycle yeah. the same three or four spots and it, it's, it, that would be fun, but I think it would get a little bit old. You, you can go back to the old, you know, like you said, the Pebbles, the Beth Page, the Shannon Cox, you know, every five, six, so years, but you do have to throw some new wrinkles in and try some new stuff with the U S open. I, I don't mind it. Yeah. I did a, I I did a flyer I would with love, on, on YouTube I would, the other day. Yeah, like the they had like all eighteen holes, the little drone flyover. Mm -hmm. This place looks it just just from not in terms of golf standpoint, just from the views from up there, it looks absolutely gorgeous and looks like it could be an absolute nightmare of a course if you're not playing it well. Oh yeah, and one thing you know, when I was mulling this over yesterday, I thought about how would you feel about an eight course rotation, geographically spread out so everyone gets some love. You find your eight, you put some classics in there, you put some some new players that we know work, uh, let's call it a Whistling Straits. You know, you find those courses that you know a major, that can be a major venue, and you just rotate them. And then you know you're not going to get a Chambers Bay. You know, I don't mind that, but I think you'd have to still, you'd have to have a year or so, every eight or nine, whatever, if you do have that seven, eight course rotation, I think at the end of that rotation, maybe you try and throw something in new because you do, I, yeah. you do have to try some new stuff sometimes. Matt, that's always been, that's always been your hallmark, Matt. You're, you're such an early adopter. Actually, I'm more of a know what I like kind of guy. So this, I know this goes are. very much against my philosophy <laughs> in life. It everything against you believe in. Exactly. Uh, another another storyline, another storyline at the U S open, 
the Fox coverage got better last year in year two. Once they got uh, got the shark out of the booth, Norman was a bit of an issue in year one. I wouldn't put that on Joe Buck. I thought Buck was great last year, and the addition of Zinger, Paul Azinger, was he's a joy to listen what to listen talk about the game of golf. And um, I think Brad Faxon's going to be in one of the towers as well. Uh, they, they're implementing. You said you saw one of those drone flyovers. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, there's going to be a lot of new technology coming from Fox this year. There's going to be Pro Tracer. I think they're calling it uh, the Fox Flight Track on uh, every hole. So now Fox it, started that the the flight track or what was it at? I think was it at Chambers Bay? Were they the first ones to I really believe start so. that? And that I believe so. That I think has been one of the most beneficial and the best additions to golf coverage that you can have because watching that ball off the tee. I mean, it's it's nice seeing their swing from behind them, and you might be able to see kind of where it starts off, but seeing where that ball goes is much better than, you know, seeing him swing and then having a random shot of a ball flying through the air and not knowing where it is. I'm guilty of sitting on YouTube and watching Pro Tracer compilations, so this will be four days of enjoyment for me. <laughs> I'm sure you'll have a lot of fun with this actually getting to see it live now. It'll be it'll be a great one, Matt. But, I'm uh, actually with but, you on Joe Buck, by the way. I think the popular thing is kind of to rip him and say, "Oh, he's not good. He's very generic, whatever." I, I'm a I'm a Joe Buck fan. I think while the first year, like you said, was a little bit rough, partially due to Norman, I thought last year he did a great job. Yeah, and and it, it goes along with your kind of your nouveau impetus here that you want something new. You want to try something new. We know the voices that go along with golf, and sometimes you got to get used to a new voice, a new course, and. Uh, that's the direction that the USGA is going from both a broadcast standpoint and a course selection standpoint. But Fox now has it, I believe, for the next eleven, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was a yeah. It was. It was. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. But they, it's at least another it decade. So so get used to them because Joe Buck is now one of the voices of golf as well for a couple of weekends a year because they also get the USAM and a couple other tournaments. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I, I should be good. It should be uh, should be good fun. Some, some clean golf watching from the couch, man. It's, it's what we do best. But before we move on, I need to get some. I need to get a couple of predictions from you. I need a winner okay. and a sleeper. I'll give you some time to think about Ooh, this. I'm springing okay. it on you. I'm going to give you my winner. I think he breaks out, finally gets off the schneid. I think Ricky Fowler wins this. I think he's a guy that has that mentality to where if you take a double on Thursday – you're not going to feel the repercussions of it on Sunday. He's a guy that can wipe the slate clean, and that's what it takes, I think, a lot of times to win a U.S. Open. Ricky, he's an undersized guy, but he, he's in the upper third distance-wise. He can drive it with the best of them, so he's not going to be hitting hitting six irons while Dustin's hitting wedges. I mean, that might happen here or there, but I think that, that course length, that 7,700 yards that they're going to tip it out to, I don't think that's much of an issue for for Ricky or for anyone else out there. I think length... That length's just a number now with how far these guys hit it. So I'm saying Ricky Fowler as my favorite and Chuck Hoffman as my sleeper. Charlie Hoffman. Charlie Hoffman. I'm, I'm choosing him for a similar reason. He's a mild-mannered guy that kind of takes the waves as they come, and uh, he's got good odds. He's uh, he's at uh, plus, I think he's plus 14,000, something like that. He's, oh, he's way down at the bottom. That's he's, pretty good. Uh, he's a value pick, so that's my that's my sleeper pick. Well, you did spring this on me, so thanks a lot. Uh-huh. Um, I want I want to pick Dustin, but I don't I don't want to be the guy because everyone's going to pick Dustin. Obviously, it's the ball farther than anybody, and you, know, this you got your Father's Day storyline. Yeah, going to be father. It'll be perfect. I'm going to say I'm going to say John Rom gets that first major. I'm going to go okay. with him. He, he hits the ball a long way. He's another guy who's maybe a little bit younger, but he's he's had that experience. <laughs> not necessarily in majors. He's had that experience being at the top of tournament. You know, being at the top of the uh, the leaderboard on a Sunday knows what it's like. And granted, it's a whole different animal in the U.S. Open, but he's got to win it sometime. I think. I think he's one of the most talented young players in golf, and I think the way he hits the ball off the tee, uh, I'm a fan of him uh, this week. Yeah. My sleeper. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, just a quick comment on John Rom. The one thing, the one knock on Rom, they say in these sorts of tournaments, and it's completely the other side of the coin of what I was talking about: Charlie Hoffman and Ricky Fowler. He has that um, Sergio Garcia European spirit in him where things, when they start going the wrong way, they can go the other way fast. True. That's yeah. fair. And that's why we knock on him. That, hey, that, that's fair, and maybe it does happen, but if he's playing well, I think he can compete with anybody, and he's going to be up there. Um, as far as my sleeper, I, I had a couple different options I was thinking about, but I'm going to go with uh, Louis Oosthuizen. I think he's got a very very simple swing. I think he hits the ball pretty straight, straightforward. And like you said, unlike John Rahm or maybe Sergio, I think he's very unflattered and be able to 
deal with you know taking a double after putting the ball in the rough, something like that. I I, I love his swing. I love how he hits the ball. And while I don't, I'm not a huge fan of him. I, I do like watching him golf, and I, I think he's a nice little sleeper this weekend. I think he's according to the book I got open right now, going off at 50, uh, plus fifty two fifty. So another value. That's pick, a sleeper. Right? That's a value pick. I, <laughs> I like the way like the way he swings the club, and I like his mentality. And again, he's a guy who has won what is two majors now. Yeah, and he he knows he knows how to put himself in the mix at the majors. He's always, his name's always up in the top twenty yeah. on the leaderboard. He's always hanging around. It's just a matter of the war of attrition that this uh, this test is going to be at Aaron Hills. Who can kind of hold on? I think it's going to be a, a matter of holding on. And I'm going to make another uh, another prediction here. I don't want to call it a bold prediction, but it's Go just ahead. a prediction. I think that this one gets decided on Monday. It's been eight years since we've seen a playoff at the U.S. Open. It was Tiger and Rocco Media. It was the last one. And I think just with the amount of talent and kind of the tenor, the speed that this PGA Tour season has taken on, there's been a lot of guys, a lot of big Sunday leaderboards. I think we do see a Monday playoff here at the U.S. Open. God, I would love that. The U.S. Open, selfishly, I love their playoff the most just because I get to watch another 18 holes of golf on you know, arguably the best course in the country. And it might not be the best. Uh, it might not be the best viewer experience with just two guys out there. There's a lot of downtime, a lot of time to fill for these guys in the booth. But what's cooler than two guys lacing it up and going out and playing one on one to see who's the U.S. Open champion? That's no, that's what I. An it, awesome it, spectacle and more than enough reason to take off on Monday. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and you know, it's it's not like I'm not complaining about the way Augusta does it or the way the British Open does it, where it's you know three or four holes until you find out you know. Until it becomes sudden death or whatever, but it's nice to have one. It's nice to have eighteen. It's nice to be able to be able to go out on number two and you know put one into the woods and be able to bounce back, have fifteen more holes. Yeah, yeah. Well, Matt, a couple news and notes here. It should be a fun weekend at the at the U.S. Open. But before we get into segments, we got some news and notes here. Uh, Also in the golf vein, Tiger Woods reportedly going to check himself into rehab. Uh, an ultimatum from former wife uh, Elin Woods or Elin Norgan, um, however you pronounce her last name. Pardon me. There, uh, he's headed back because uh, doesn't want to lose the time with the kids. And again, getting getting into some uh, some really sensitive topics there. But uh, glad that he is seeking the help that he needs to maybe get back here so we can talk about him. Not even you know, not even being a favorite or a, an underdog, just being in the field. Yeah, you know, it's it's like we said a couple weeks ago when. You know the news first came out about him getting the DUI, but I, I hope he's okay. Uh, I'm glad he's going to try and straighten himself out, and, and hopefully he comes out the other side uh, strong. And like you said, we're we're back talking about him being in the the U.S. Open field, not being in rehab, not being in rehab. And some other news, we're going to jump off that one real quick. Wishing Tiger the best. The Mayweather McGregor fight appears to be a go. The MGM Grand uh, Mayweather pro- Promotions. Put in an application for the MGM Grand on a certain date. I'm looking for that date. August 26th. August 26th. Uh, Mayweather Promotions put in the request, and supposedly contracts have been signed. So uh, yeah, I think McGregor yeah. had an Instagram post or a tweet last night. Uh, the side saying, story looks like it's a go. Yeah, saying some, you know something big coming or something like that. But whatever. we we talked about this one a couple weeks ago. Um, it's going to be, for, for me, must-watch TV. It, it, I think I know what's going to happen, but I'm going to tune in just in case whatever. Yeah, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be a huge pay-per-view grab. And as this saga has kind of unfolded here, listening to actual fight fans talk about it has kind of tempered my excitement because a lot of, a lot of boxing purists are pissed off that this is even a conversation, let alone that it's going to now happen. I can see that, I guess, from a boxing standpoint. If I were a boxing purist, I'd probably not be happy that you know some guy from a different sport thinks he can come in and, and challenge our best. But from a from a fan of just fight sports in general, I can't wait to watch. It's it's two of the biggest names that are in in know, sports in, in sports today, not just fight sports. But I think I know what's going to happen. And in, if that other thing, if McGregor does somehow figure out a way to win, I'm going to be glad to have watched it. And if not, I'm going to be very glad I watched the build-up and the hype-up for this because, like we said, that's going to be awesome. These two guys can talk, man. They, they can talk and... They know I, what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They know how to promote. And I'm excited to see Conor come out and swing at Floyd because a lot of Floyd's That first round is going to be awesome. A lot of Floyd's last fights have been dance matches with, uh, you know, 
lighter guys just kind of throwing jabs at each other, looking for openings and playing defensively. I don't think McGregor comes out here defensively. I think he tries to sleep him in the first few rounds because he knows that's the only way he's going to win. Yeah, I think. And that, that should at the very least make those first couple rounds fun to watch because if McGregor's trying to attack, that means there's always the possibility Mayweather hits him with a counter and puts him down. Yeah, so it should be a good time. So August 26th, that date, we will see uh, more news to come out that in, in the coming week. Matt? I've been on vacations the last two weekends, so I am living the dream. I'm feeling good. I got no complaints, but I hear you do. I got one. Hit it. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind, because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points. And may God have mercy on your soul. Joe, I had a great time watching the Stanley Cup Finals. I, I did. I think it was a great series. Um, like what we talked about earlier, both both teams deservingly being there. They, they competed with each other. I think there was a little bit of a worry that Nashville might not be up to snuff for the defending champions, but they clearly were. My problem with this, I don't want to take anything away from the Pittsburgh Penguins winning this Stanley Cup. They went out there, they earned it, they they took advantage of every bounce that went their way, and they won in six. But there are two distinct moments in this series that I think defined it, and none of those moments were a result of anything the, the players did or, or caused by the players. There were two moments caused by officials. Um, go back to game one. Nashville scores uh, the opening goal of the game, take that early one nothing lead, and then it gets waved off because of somehow gets overturned due to video evidence that I'm still looking for that, that nobody is able to see unless they have angles they're not showing us. Pittsburgh uh, takes advantage, scores three more, then gets dominated the rest of the night. Uh, game six, loose puck in front of the net, Nashville pokes it in, early whistle blown, puck was clearly loose, whistle should not have been blown, I know you're supposed to, as, as an official, blow the whistle if you're, uh, if you're not in, in, in sight of the puck. But the official wasn't in great position. Puck was clearly loose. That puck goes in. My, my problem is I'm not saying Nashville got screwed out of a series. That, that's not at all what I'm going at. Pittsburgh deserved the win. But officials got too far involved for the wrong reasons. I, I think they went too hard to try and overturn that first goal and kind of outthought themselves. And I think the same thing with that should have been Nashville goal in Game 6. Err on the side of letting the play go, and then we can go back and see if that puck was was trapped or not. Err on the side of, I'm not sure what happened, so I'm not going to overturn, instead of, I think that skate might have been a millimeter off the ice. Officials got a little bit too involved in this series for me in those two calls, and I think it's a shame that those two calls by officials are more so what I'm thinking about in the Stanley Cup Finals and not Patrick Hornfist banking a shot off Pecorine or... You know, Colton Sisson's hitting the post and not giving Nashville that, that lead. Um, it's just, it, it's a shame to me that it came too much down to officiating in the Stanley Cup Finals. Matt, I'd have to agree with your grievance there. It, you never want to see officiating be the headline and the outcome be the footnote. That, that's just not how sports are supposed to be. And good officiating is officiating that you don't talk about, officiating that you can't see, you know, burying that whistle. The same thing happened yesterday in Game 5 of uh, the NBA Finals, and it was just, uh, or Game 6, pardon me. No, Game 5, pardon me. Yeah, 5. Um, yeah, the the refs in the first half were whistle-happy. There was no flow to the game. Uh, they did put them away a little bit in the second half, which was good to see, but, you know, I shut us down last week talking about Danny Crawford and talking about uh, how outstanding of a referee he's been. They don't get those accolades, and largely in part for good reason. You know, you talk about how the series was directly affected by these referees, and you never want to see the wrong team hoisting the cup. I don't think the wrong team was hoisting the cup, but again, just too involved. Too exactly, involved. I, and that, I do want to stress that too. This is this isn't me saying that you know Nashville got screwed and they deserve to win the cup. This is me saying I'm remembering too much of officiating from this series when I should just be remembering a great series between two very very good hockey teams. And, and it was Matt and. Hopefully, you know, history will remember it that way. I think that oftentimes, too, these gripes we do have about officiating do wear as time does go on. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt, well, we want to jump into a little buy or sell here? Yeah, why don't you start us off? All right, I'm going to start us off. Yesterday, it was reported 
that a pair of courtside seats for Game 5 of the NBA Finals sold on StubHub after taxes and fees for $133,000 for the pair. Now, you get two tickets. You get two tickets. So $133,000 for two tickets. Matt, buy or sell, you have a disposable income. That's a purchase you make. Joe, I don't think I can sell this any more than (laughs) – why? Just why? You could have found. You probably could have found cheaper ones on StubHub courtside. I would imagine, but no. You absolutely I, could have. Those were the most expensive. Yeah, that, sold, that's just no. That's just, I'm. You you proposed this question to me last night when we were going over kind of the rundown a little bit. And I still don't have an answer. I'm dumbfounded for why anybody would spend that much money on two tickets to a basketball game you already knew the outcome of. Yeah, my only thing here is disposable income. No, it's one hundred and thirty-three thousand dollars. I don't care. I'm a how billionaire. Much you. I don't care I'm how much. I'm a billionaire. I want give to that one hundred thirty-three thousand dollars to a charity. Give he, a give a hundred. There's no saying that he didn't charity. do that either. Give there's no cost benefit to a charity there. and use three grand on uh, you know seats at the top of the lower bowl. How about no. that? Because because I'm a billionaire, and if I'm going to the game, I'm sitting courtside at center court. Yeah, okay. That's what I'm you not, know. One hundred thirty-three thousand dollars is a lot, lot of money to everyone except a few people. If I'm one of those few people, let it ride. I want to go see the game. Why don't you go buy another Mercedes, donate fifty or you know, donate thirty grand to charity and then spend three grand on the game. Because you're not my financial manager, man. I'm going to the game. I if I were your financial manager, you would not be going to that game. <laughs> All right. Well we know you where you stand on this one, Matt. Yeah, sorry, I just that that one I didn't mean to make that short, but <laughs> I needed to I needed to assert where I needed to make it known how extremely opposed to that I was. Um, my my first buy or sell for you. Uh, there's an article in the Chicago Tribune this weekend. David Haw sat down with Ozzy Guillen uh, and basically said he thinks it's time for him to get another shot in the uh, managing in the majors. So Joe, buy or sell? Ozzy Guillen deserves another shot to manage Major League Baseball. Uh, he deserves another shot. I'll buy that. Do I think he? Will manage again in baseball? I don't think so. I think we're in a, a hiring cycle of new names. You know, a, a lot of these positions in the last couple of years that have it opened up, we've seen some new faces, some new names, and I think that's what the sport needs because, you know, your Joe Torres and your Terry Francona's and your Ozzie Guillen's. I, I won't say Joe Madden because I don't want to piss off the majority of our listeners here, but. Yeah, Joe. Don't take a shot you, at Joe Madden. You got no. I love Joe Madden, but yeah. you got your your stalwarts, your guys that have been there for a long time, and we need to start establishing some younger names. We need to start establishing some younger faces that are recognizable, so that you feel like a fan base when you get a Ricky Renteria or you get a second tier guy. You still feel like you got some. You know, you, you need to let these guys build out their pedigrees. Ozzie Guillen has his championship. He has. Everything, every accolade that a manager can have, he was a great ball player. The game has treated him well. He's treated the game well. What else is there to do? Go, again, let's go back to the dollars and cents. Go enjoy your money. I, I, I hear what you're saying. That said, I think if he wants another job managing it's baseball, his. I, I think he should. I don't think there should be anything holding him back anymore. I think he's kind of paid his penance, and, and I think he should be considered for it, 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 I'm with you. I'm not sure if he's going to manage again, but I think he deserves another shot if a team sees him as the best fit manager for their ball club. But I'm with you. A lot of newer names are kind of starting to take over, and if that's why he's not in there, that's okay. But I do think he's gotten to the point where he, if a team thinks he's the best candidate, should be able to take that job. Absolutely. I I, I couldn't agree with you more there, Matt. Uh, We're going to keep it baseball for my second and final buy or sell. Buy or sell? The Cubs lead the NL Central at the All-Star break. You know, I, I again, last night tried to think about this one a little bit, and I went online, looked at some of the uh, the upcoming schedules for, for them in Milwaukee. I'm going to buy it simply because other than a four-game set with the Nationals, I think at the end of June, the, the Cubs don't really play anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're on the road a little bit here, yes, and they've struggled mightily on the road, even against bad teams like San Diego, but... I just I think they're too talented to not at least go you know 500 through that stretch. I think they're only a game and a half out of first behind Milwaukee, and this more so stems to me just not believing in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think they're real. I think it's a lot like what the Phillies did last year. They got out to a nice hot start, and then around the All Star break time, they just started to revert to what they were. But I, I think they are. I think, and I think they might be in first by hovering about around 500. 
Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying I would be encouraged by anything they've done or that, you know, it, it's, I'd feel good about where they are as a team, but I think by default they may, so may uh, be, be in first just because that division, unless the Cardinals get hot, has nobody. And, and just think about how fickle of a game it is and how cyclical the, the talent that how cyclical talent is in the major leagues. This was Murderer's Row two years ago. Yeah. This the Pirates, the Cardinals, the Brewers were even not that terrible. Um, the Reds were, you know, a playoff contender every year. It's, 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 it's weird how kind of fast it's gone down at least this year to where 500 is leading the division. Yeah. yeah well, uh, I, I would buy that too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer my own question. I'd buy that too. It's their division to lose. They're a game under 500. You got to think they hit one of those streaks here again uh, coming up. Now, I don't mean to stem from the the buy or sell topic here, but what do you think they uh, what do you think they're going to need to do here coming up in the trade deadline? Because they're not by any means a complete team. They 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 need a lot of things right now. They need probably two arms because John Lackey is not a playoff starter at this point. Kyle Hendricks is probably going to be back, but he's not healthy at the moment. You, you can't really be throwing out Eddie Butler all the time. I don't think he's going to last. But they also need a leadoff hitter because, or they need a leadoff hitter, or they need to bump Chris Bryant down in the order because I think Chris Bryant has double-digit solo shots this year. They need to get somebody. They need a table setter up in that offense for, you know, Bryant, Rizzo, Zobrist, and they don't really have that right now either. Yeah, man, I I think you said it right there exactly. They don't have a leadoff hitter. I don't think they need to go get a leadoff hitter or someone for the for the front end of that that um, that batting order, but they need to figure out who their leadoff hitter is, who can set that table, as you said. The need is pitching. Their pitching has been flat this entire season. Guys that were aces are not coming out here and pitching like they did last season, whether that be a hangover, fatigue, whatever you want to call it. I think another arm might ignite these guys, not, not just add another arm, but bring the talent level that they do have back to where – the performance can be. Yeah, and I think... I think that these pitchers aren't performing up to their potential, and another arm sometimes can ignite that. In a clubhouse, in a pitching staff, I think a new face, a new arm, a top-tier arm, if they can make that happen, uh, might be the answer to uh, to the problem too. Yeah, I'm glad he said a top-tier arm, because I, I... You said ignite the clubhouse, bring in a new arm, and I agree, but I don't think bringing in a middle-of-the-road guy does that. I think if you no. bring in a... If you go out and, and pay for a Jose Quintana or a Chris Archer or a Sonny Gray who's starting to pitch a little bit better lately, then maybe you do ignite that clubhouse. But I don't think bring, bringing in a three or four starter really does much for the mentality of that rotation or that clubhouse. Yeah, so wouldn't be surprised to make them, see him make a big splash here, Matt. Well, Jose Quintana is very available. <laughs> Joe, before we, before, we go, <laughs> before we move on here to my question, there, there's one around the topic of baseball here. Did you, did you happen to catch – the highlight or end of the Braves Nationals game last night because if you're a, if, I did not if you're a White Sox fan you're gonna love this Matt Albers was in trying to lock down the save and oh it gets better locked down the save <laughs> in a nine eight ball game at home against the against the Braves and with two runners on none other than Tyler Flowers took Matt Albers deep for the blown save and gave Atlanta an eleven nine lead. Matt, I just had a. What year is it? I have to. Someone get me a calendar because none of that made any sense. I, I don't know how those are. Those guys are still in baseball, but <laughs> holy! I was sitting. I was at work last night, sitting in the CSN newsroom. One of the guys said, "Tyler Flowers just took Matt Elbers deep in the ninth inning," and I just I felt like I was in the twilight zone. I felt like my mind was just exploding. How did this? How is this happening? File that under things I didn't think I'd hear today. All right, Joe, wrapping up buy or sell here. I think we all saw the video this weekend of the, the, the little, little young boy winning the uh, icy chug race at the Braves game. Yes. And then just the look of pure anguish and pain on his face. Joe, buy or sell one-on-one, you could chug an icy faster than that kid. Uh, man, I'm going I'm to right off the top sell that. I'm, uh, I, I wouldn't put myself through that anguish. Um, the, the brain freeze has always been uh, been an enemy of mine. I, I don't do well with it. There might be a tantrum in there, so it might be fun to watch for you, but I'm going to sell it. That kid, he was he was slugging the Slurpee. It looked like he had great form, and it looked like he had a general disregard for whatever consequences that Slurpee was going to have on him. I'm selling. He, he remains the king of Slurpee chugging, man. Kid was a champ. He was determined. And Give him he, the crown. Hey, crown you know, him. He went through the pain, you know, to get to the reward. I think that's a 
that's the epitome of no pain, no gain there. He, he fought through, through adversity and, and he won his battle and, you know, hats off to him. I've been there before kid, know what you're going through. Glad you got through the brain freeze. Bra- bravo to Slurpee kid. All right, Moose and Runes listeners, that's going to do it for week seven, podcast number seven. Matt Rooney, Joe Musso here on the Moose and Runes podcast. We touched it all. Should be a great weekend of spectating U.S. Open golf on the way. A great time of year for sports, Matt. We just crowned two champions. We got another champion coming down the pipe, and we're in that sweet spot as golf fans where we got a couple majors coming at us, too, in the next coming weeks. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you today, Matt, and you're going to shut us down. I am. First, uh, I, I want to do say next week we're going to have to do a, uh, a Tuesday, I believe, podcast as well. I'm going to be out of town. Actually, in your neck of the woods, Joe, are you going to be at the College World Series at all? Uh, I might be up there. I might be uh, up there. We might have to go on location. Going to be in Omaha, Nebraska, Saturday, uh, excuse me, Sunday, Monday, fly home Tuesday uh, for a little College World Series action part of baseball trip 17. There you go. The 10th. 10th baseball trip in existence but it's a uh, have you have you had game. the opportunity to do a college world series yet i have never um you're, i've talked to love- some people who have my uh, one of my cousins has one of my brothers has uh one of the uh the guys we go on this trip and lives in omaha and, and goes all the time so it is a from everything i've heard it's it's a fantastic experience we're gonna love it it's gonna be a great experience for you as a baseball fan one thing don't expect to see many home runs td ameritrade park is a monster. You're going to be amazed once you sit down in your seats how big that outfield is. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Apparently the, the park is supposed to be beautiful. I'm a little bit bummed I won't get to see the uh, the legendary Rosenblatt, but uh, <laughs> every every review I've heard of this new stadium, it's supposed to be fantastic. So maybe, just maybe if you're up there, Joe, maybe we can hook up for, uh, for a beer or two. Sounds good, man. All right, now it's uh, my turn to, to shut us down. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down! Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. I'm going to go back to hockey here just quickly. Uh, I might have might have been able to predict that. But Stanley Cup Finals obviously just wrapped up. Matt Murray, uh, rookie goalie of the Penguins, just picked up uh, his – or sorry, not rookie, last year he was a rookie. Second consecutive uh, Stanley Cup and I believe second full season as the Penguins in that minor. It maybe took over midseason last year, but that's not the point. Um Shutting it down, I want to tip my tip my cap, tap my stick to Marc Andre Fleury, whose career with the Penguins is likely uh, over after this year. He's been exposed in the expansion draft to to be taken by Vegas if they want him. If not, I'm sure they'll find a taker for him. But he is a, a Stanley Cup winning goaltender in 2009. Uh, he's been on, he's been with the Penguins I think since 2003, 2004. He has been a top-tier goalie in the NHL for as long as he's been in it, with the exception of a down year or two thrown in there. But um, he got replaced midseason last year by Matt Murray, and Matt Murray kind of took the reins. And since then, Marc-Andre Fleury has been nothing but a great teammate, a great leader in the Penguins locker room by all accounts, and, and one of these guys who could have forced his way out of there, could have been a disruption, could have been a distraction, could have been... Uh, a stunt in Matt Murray's growth, but by all accounts, he's been the exact opposite. He, he's played up to his elite level when his number's been called. Uh, he's gotten Matt Murray along to where he is today. Is now a two-time Stanley Cup champion winning goalie. When he had his number called in the playoffs this year, he was absolutely fantastic and only got replaced because his team let him down a little bit in that game three against Ottawa where they were blown out. But... Uh, as his time and ends in Pittsburgh, likely this offseason, it's a little bit of an end of an era for them. Uh, he's been in that sweater for, like I said, about 13 years now. And uh, I think we've all been in, in locker rooms, Joe, you and I both, I know, uh, have where you know, players not getting the time they deserve can be a little bit of a distraction, uh, can be a little bit of uh, an annoyance in there and, and, and complain. And he, by all accounts, did not do that. He, uh, he did exactly what was asked for of him. He played to an elite level when his number was called. Um, and he's going to go somewhere else and be a very good goalie for a couple more years. He's still only 32, which in, in goalie years means he's got some time left. And uh, I'm excited for him to get an opportunity to start elsewhere and then be a fan of him. And just, you know, again, hats off to him for being the ultimate teammate and being a key part. Now two consecutive Stanley Cups, three if you count uh, you know, the one he won in 2009. But the Penguins don't probably don't win that Stanley Cup without him when Matt Murray goes down this year and, or, or his leadership in the locker room. So hats off to Marc-Andre Fleury and, and all those guys everywhere who have been in that situation, been in a spot where they think they should be playing, think they should get more time, but instead they uh, 
they stay out and stay on the bench, play when their number's called, and they're nothing but a good teammate in that locker room. Well said, Matter, the mark of a consummate professional, Marc-Andre Fleury, one that we've enjoyed watching over the years. Well, that's going to do it for the Moose and Runes podcast here in Week 7. Matter, always fun talking with you. Again, follow us on Twitter. Send us some mailbag questions. We love your input. Thanks for listening. As always, for Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. We'll see you around the way. Subscribe on iTunes. Boom. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Ha, ha, ha.